0: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks this day for the chance to come together in worship, to hear your word, to consider how your hope can be our hope in our lives today. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. One of the things I often talk about when discussing scripture is that context matters. Context matters whenever we hear a text, especially though an Old Testament text like our lesson this morning from the prophet Isaiah that Kathy just read for us. And all during Advent, we're going to be hearing prophetic words from Isaiah and reflecting on them as we prepare ourselves for Christmas and the celebration of God's dwelling among humanity. I wonder if you noticed the tone of the writing in Isaiah's prayer today. We're going to take a closer look at it and you might even want to have a Bible nearby this morning, even if it's on your phone. By the way, if you don't have a Bible at home and you need one, just let me know, we can get you one. We can put one outside for you to pick up. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 64 this morning, but to understand the context better, we need to go back to chapter 63, starting at verse 7. In Isaiah 63, the writer is telling us the stories of what God has done. Our opening hymn this morning echoes the sentiment, the the sentiment of someone who has experienced God's goodness and God's love and God's faithfulness. These are words of faith that tell a story not just of that individual speaker or writer or the singer, but a story of faith woven throughout centuries and generations. They become a tapestry of God's handiwork, intricately layered with the experience of those who have gone before. Listen to these words from chapter 63. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord. The praiseworthy acts of the Lord because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown to them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. We then read the story of the people of Israel being retold over and over again, a story of redemption and a story of deliverance. We read about Moses and the wandering in the desert and the people being rescued. At first glance, Isaiah 63, when read by itself, looks simply like a song of praise. And it is a song of praise. it's a celebration it's a a reminder, and even more, perhaps it's kind of like a review of God, you know, like a Yelp review or a restaurant guide or maybe even a movie review. It's like a teacher evaluation or a consumer reports article. You see this text, this mosaic of praise, it's setting the stage for what will come next, almost like walking into a restaurant and saying. We've heard your minestrone is the best ever. Because what happens next and leading up to our lesson this morning is that the Israelites have found themselves in a state of despair. In fact, our scripture this morning opened with such dramatic words as we find in scripture. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Those are strong words. And then for verse after verse after verse, the writer cries out to God for help. This is the pattern in the Old Testament, a pattern of what are called prayers of lament. You've probably heard this term before. The lament in our text this morning, it makes sense. The people of Israel have suffered greatly. They are living in what we've grown to call uncertain times. Their stability has been upturned. They've lost the things they value. They're separated from family. They are truly in crisis. Can we relate? Just after our text this morning, the writer shouts to God, your holy cities, he writes, have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. He goes on to ask a question that is asked throughout this reading. God, where are you? In all of this, in all of this that's happening, where are you? Let's go back to that earlier part, the part in chapter 63 where the writer is praising God's steadfast love. In those stories of God's works, stories recounting God's goodness, the people were in peril. And over and over again, the people feel abandoned, and then they experience god's redemption there's a pattern that the writer is recounting this section of Isaiah it actually gets a bit confusing though and I, I don't want us to get lost in the confusion, but I do want the confusion to speak into our own experience our own experience that we've been having for the last several months and that many people experience throughout their lives because I do think that in our world and in our lives, just like the world and lives of these ancient Israelites, our world and our lives are at times confusing. As I look around our church, I see families who are experiencing the newness of life in new babies and celebrations of love and accomplishments of their children. It's all happening in the midst of this confusion of a world where there's so much uncertainty and so much loss. So in Isaiah, when the writer is bouncing back and forth between praise and sadness and between celebration and feeling like God has abandoned them, I wonder if you can relate. I I can relate. And even when I can't relate my own experience, I can relate the experiences of those around me, those in our church, those in our society and those in the world. And so again, all this back and forth, it culminates in our reading this morning, which is an appeal to God, an appeal like the review reader walking into the restaurant expecting the best minestrone. It's an appeal to God that is based on knowledge and an expectation and indeed a hope that God will listen that God will rescue, that God will deliver. It is a hope not based on fantasy or whim or on the luck of the roulette wheel, but rather it is hope that is rooted and grounded in a communal experience of God's goodness. It is a hope that is in the God who has shown God's people over and over and over again that God will provide in our lamentations, our laments to God, our complaints to God, our cries to God. And I, and I wonder if you've given yourself the freedom either now in your life or another time when you have struggled. I wonder if you've given yourself the freedom to cry out to God, to tell God how you're feeling, to cry out to God when you're angry with God or you're hurt by God or by the world or felt abandoned by God. In our laments before God, We authentically come before God, and God can handle it. God can handle our laments, your laments, your vulnerable moments where you simply look to God and ask why, or scream to God and ask where are you, when you simply look out into the darkness, waiting for God. These laments are what theologian Walter Brueggemann calls Acts of hope that fully expect a response from a hearing God who is capable and who may be willing to intervene in effective ways. Acts of hope. Acts of hope based on our understanding of who God is, who God has been, and hopefully, faithfully, who God will be, perhaps even in our lives. Lament crying out to God, goes hand in hand with hope that God will deliver. Coming before God in lament isn't a lack of faith or a weakness, but but rather it's what Brueggemann calls a disclosure of hurt and an articulation of hope. Another theologian, Walter Casper, uses the example of Jesus' words on the cross They're known to many of us, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he observes that that these are not words of despair, but they're a prayer confident of an answer and an answer of hope for the coming of God's kingdom. This is recurrent throughout the scriptures over and over again. When faced with difficulty, there's an acknowledgement of the pain and the emptiness or sorrow and loss and even anger with god or an inability to trust god but there's also built into the pain and built into the discomfort and built into the disquiet a desire for something different that sense of the world not being right The inarticulable feeling when we're recovering from an illness or injury, when we're not totally well yet, our body knows something isn't right. This feeling of being out of sorts, of being unsettled in our present condition, this is what we bring to God in our lament. This is what we complain about to God. And friends, this act of not feeling like things are right, that's hope. That's the glimmer of hope for our lives to be made right. It is in the pain and in the suffering and in the discomfort and in our anger for God and our feeling abandoned by God and in our feeling distant from God. And it is in our sorrow and in our longing and in all of those things that we don't often talk about, we don't share about, we'd rather frankly ignore. It is in all of these lamentations that hope is found. Hope that things will be different. Hope that things will be better. Hope that the God who has been so good will be good again. Expressing our sorrow and our sadness, coming before God with expectant hearts, possibly even pleading to God, that's how we wait. We wait and we hope. Not passively, but actively, expressing our desire for the change To occur, expressing our fervent hope that God would bring the change. But also, it's an active waiting where we embrace the joy of remembering who God is and what God has done, and an active waiting with anticipation for what God will do. Isaiah's lament struggles to answer the question of why the world is in such disarray. And Isaiah seems to blame humanity and blame God, and he goes back and forth in this struggle. Is it God's anger at humankind's errors or did humankind make errors because God was distant and forgotten them? Regardless of the reason for the human condition, Isaiah acknowledges that the human-God relationship is tested in the midst of challenges. But also, Isaiah's faithful hope, his his active waiting, encourages us on our journeys. He closes his prayer saying to God, now consider we are all your people. We are all your people. And if we are God's people, if you and I are God's people, then our hope this day hope for which we wait, the hope of our ancestors, the hope woven throughout scripture. Our hope is in the God who has steadfast love for God's people, the God who Jesus taught us to pray to as our father, the God who sees us, who created us in the divine image, who loves us, who will redeem us. We are all your people, God. Each one of us. And if we are God's people, then God is present with us, wherever we are, wherever you are. And if God is with us, and if God is present, may we see God around us, among us, with us. May we wait for God. And pray that even when God feels distant or our pain may feel overwhelming, God is still even yet with us. During this Advent season, may we be actively waiting for God. Recounting God's goodness, being attentive to God's presence in our lives, in our family, in our community, actively waiting with our hope and our lament, with our struggles and our celebrations, actively waiting for the Christ, God hidden in the form of a child, actively waiting, seeking God, noticing God's presence even now.